Welcome to A Wealthy Life For Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we discover our personal definition of wealth through conversations with talented and successful women who are living their version of a wealthy and meaningful life. Teresa Leftenant is owner of Reinventing Her Money, a boutique financial planning and wealth management company located on Seattle's east side. Teresa is a licensed financial advisor and certified financial planner professional. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA, SIPC. CFP and Certified Financial Planner, the Certified Financial Board of Standards Incorporated, owns these certification marks in the U.S., which it awards to individuals who successfully complete CFP Board's initial and ongoing certification requirements. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for an individual. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified professional. Our guests are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial, Teresa Leftenant, or Reinventing Her Money. Welcome to episode 28 of A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant, where we support women to create a meaningful and abundant life on her terms. As a certified financial planner, wealth advisor, author, and speaker with over 30 years experience, professional women and their partners hire me to gain the right knowledge and confidence to overcome financial challenges that women face as they pursue a wealthy life. And what is my definition of a wealthy life? Well, true wealth is found when we're pursuing our passions, exploring who we are, expressing our inner talents, and living our personal dreams, all supported by the financial resources we need to make the best choices along the way. Now, my expert guests and I explore seven elements of living a wealthy life, including our finances, physical health and wellness, professional and career, mental and emotional wellness, recreation and fun, relationships and contribution and legacy. And I share my philosophy on the inner power qualities that women can develop to expand their lives, as well as ideas on how to improve long-term financial fitness. So the episode today is part of our relationship series. Now, one of the first steps that I encourage my clients to take with their money is to face where they really are with their financial situation right now. I know it can take a little courage and it'll also take some time and effort. In fact, it's like a recipe. There's a dash of courage, a cup of time, two cups of effort, and one cup each of motivation and commitment. Now, when I take stock of the details of a client's financial situation, like adding up what they earn, what they spend, what they owe, and what they own, then we're able to see the whole picture in front of us. And then we can find kind of a new excitement, a new inner motivation to make some changes, to make some much needed improvements. Now, financial fitness and living a wealthy life isn't that difficult to pursue. All it takes is a clear vision of what you'd rather have in the future over what you have right now. And once you have your vision, you can follow the recipe. Also, taking specific action steps that other successful people have taken before. If you want to learn more about my recipe for financial fitness, you can visit reinventinghermoney.com and in the menu, where it says click uh, work with Teresa, just select how to improve your financial fitness. Now facing the truth about your financial situation is an important first step to pursuing a wealthy life. 
Today, my guest and I are going to focus on facing the truth about our relationships. When I think about the unexpected challenges that we're all having to deal with this year, you know, the pandemic, racial injustice, fires, hurricanes, an uncertain economy, a presidential election, it's not surprising that many women are just experiencing so much more stress in their lives, not with their finances, but in their relationships too. And if we don't have good, stable relationships, it's hard to really enjoy the financial wealth that we create for ourselves. Now, as I've mentioned before on the show, I talk to women every single day. My relationships with my clients are close. They trust me. They talk to me about their money and a lot of other things too. And recently, so many of them have shared about this new level of disagreement with their partner, with their children, and even with other extended family members. People are disagreeing about social distancing, the best way to solve the problems in our countries. Couples are fighting more, siblings are fighting more, and some family members have even broken off their connection altogether. One of my favorite sayings by Eleanor Roosevelt is, quote, a woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. So strong women, I invite you to entertain the idea of facing the truth about the discourse in your relationships. And that's what we're gonna help you with today. You see, I wanted to know more about how the additional stress that I'm experiencing is impacting my relationships. So I asked my dear friend, therapist and relationship expert, Marianne Marlowe, to be with us today to answer my questions and to share her expertise with all of us. So Marianne and I are going to talk about overcoming family grievances during stressful times. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Marianne Marlowe, who is a presenter, trainer, psychotherapist, relationship specialist, and a committed relationship advocate. The foundation of her work is that understanding our relationships can lead to personal transformation. Ms. Marlowe is the founder of thisloveworks.com, a company devoted to creating the healthiest and most vibrant relationships possible. Among her areas of focus are consciousness development and healing shock and trauma through helping clients become dedicated to creating healthy relationships. Marianne believes secure relationships are at the foundation of the family and ultimately through them, we can change the world. Hi, Marianne. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Teresa. What a beautiful welcome and introduction. I so appreciate it. And I so appreciate being invited to come and speak with you today. I, I love our conversations. Well, we've had one before about money mindset, and um, I'm so happy that you came back today. So I want to talk about this topic that I think that all women, you know, have to deal with at some point or another, and that's strife within the family. 
Now, you and I, we are in this mastermind together, and we've talked extensively about the psychological and emotional aspects of creating a wealthy life, which is what this show is all about and what I'm all about. And we also share this curiosity about how people work, how we get into such messes in our lives, and how we can transform into our very best self. And I know that's what you're very passionate about with your work with couples. Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's really what drove me to uh, focus on couples therapy years ago. I started out in a general practice and really recognized that when we have healthy relationships, we can really heal families and communities and ultimately heal the world. And that might sound a little bit uh, fanciful, but I truly do believe that that is the fact of the matter. Well, I do too, because it's in relationships that we can learn more about ourselves. And really, it is our responsibility to to um, work with ourselves so that we can make an impact on the world in the way that we really want to. Now, yeah. another reason that I want you to be on the show is because, you know, I've personally been experiencing some emotional pain uh, around some family grievances that my family's been dealing with for some time. And, you know, I've worked with you personally to, to help me get some insight about that. So let's start by framing the problem. Why do we get into these disagreements, even hold grudges about the ver with the very people that we say we love the most? And how do we let ourselves, you know, stay stuck in these disagreements, sometimes for years? Yeah, well, I so appreciate you bringing this up, Teresa. And, you know, I think this is really the mark of a good leader. Uh, I recognize that any woman or man who steps up and says, hey, you know, I'm dealing with something and I really want to get to the bottom of it. I think that, you know, that takes a lot of courage. And I think that that is kind of the root of what you're talking about, that sometimes we just don't recognize how much courage it's going to take. And that sometimes gets us stuck because when we know that we've got to make some changes, um, that can be really, uh, really difficult. And right now, especially, you and I talked a lot about this, there has been so much around the world with the pandemic and social unrest um, that over this past six months, we have been dealing with a lot of trauma and chaos. And it's really about our collective consciousness and unconsciousness, which means that we are all aware of some of the things that are troubling us. And there are also things that we are unaware of and that are in our blind spots. And we, when we have that kind of social, social and community disquiet, our nervous systems become overwhelmed and dysregulated. And what that means is that we are a lot more on edge because of what's going on around us, not just what's happening in the family. And so when we're on edge, that part of our brain that registers danger goes into high alert. And that little primitive brain, that reptile brain begins to pay attention to how I might be hurt or vulnerable to others. And it's this fear that creates tension that is uh, what we're going to be learning about uh, today. And that kind of tension um, is now I'm going to be looking at you as, you know, are you going to hurt me? And it creates suspicion. It creates suspicion inside the family and outside the family. And so I think, you know, when we were talking, when people have some intellectual understanding of what's going on, 
that can be the very first step in healing what we're feeling because it provides some meaning uh, and context uh, to what's happening. And so when we feel anxiety and grief, we don't know what to do with that. And anxiety and depression are extremely isolating. And so on top of you know, the pandemic and everything else that's going on around us, the anxiety and the depression are driving us even farther away from each other, right? And so when we separate from each other, I become more suspicious, I become more dysregulated, and then I see the world as, you know, dangerous and not friendly and that everybody in it is dangerous. And so how can I protect myself from being hurt, right? I drive myself deeper and that's how we get stuck. So it's really challenging, this challenging dynamic because I'm assuming that my partner or my family is unfriendly and now I'm looking around to see how, how I'm going to be hurt by you. You know, I think that women feel this maybe even a little more than men do. And that's because we tend to tend to feel people's emotions. We're empathic. I think we also take responsibility for the relationships in our family. And I mean, real, we are really all about, at least I am in my family, I'll speak to myself. I'm all about making sure everybody's getting along and everybody's happy together. And so when I feel that discourse, when I feel that um, somebody isn't particularly happy with someone else, I do take it on as, as partially my responsibility. And maybe that's not the healthy thing to do. Well, I mean, I do think that on some level, we're biologically kind of programmed for that, right? That we hold some of the emotional, uh, we hold the, the emotional responsibility in our families because, uh, you know, traditionally and over time, you know, we, we had the a stronger masculine force going out, getting us food and shelter, and then the women paying attention to the community and building community. And so that does take a lot of emotional intelligence. And so I, I do think that we are sort of prone to taking on emotional responsibility. The challenge is that sometimes we take on too much of it, right? We hold too much of it, which then uh, I think sometimes cuts people off from uh, from taking on their own responsibility. And, and this leads then to sort of this generational disharmony, right? That over time, women pass this along to each other. And here we are, you know, our, our, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers um, and our mothers really have given us the foundation for which we can now um, help, you know, not only change this idea that we have to hold everything um, but that, you know, we can share that with our partners and really help to form uh, new ways of dealing with that with, with our, you know, with our families and with our children. Well, I want to get more into that idea of how the different generations manage anxiety, manage stress. Um, it's not just about age per se, but it's, of course, about experience and, and how we were taught as children. Um, so uh, let's take a little break first. And when we get come back, we'll be talking more about how Marianne works with her clients regarding overcoming disharmony, realizing that the nervous system is engaged and that we are under uh, significantly more stress than usual. So come back to A Wealthy Life for Her in just a moment.
Does your relationship need a refresh, reboot, or complete remodel? Get the most up-to-date, cutting-edge processes and tools to switch gears and put you back on track. Marianne Marlowe helps couples get the spark back that brought you together in the first place. Among her areas of focus are consciousness development and healing shock and trauma through healthy relationships. Reclaim your spark and go to thisloveworks.com. It's your this in This Love Works. Teresa Love Tennant encourages women to talk openly about money by providing virtual and live talking circles where members come together in a spirit of trust, respect, and mutual support. Reinventing Her Money also provides financial education, workshops, webinars, speaking events, and transformational experiences to companies and organizations. If your group would like Teresa Love Tennant to speak or facilitate a financial topic for your women's group, learn more at reinventinghermoney.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Alternative Talk 1150, online at 1150kknw.com. Okay, welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Lieutenant and my guest, relationship expert and therapist, Marianne Marlowe. So before the break, we were talking about how, you know, this additional stress that we're experiencing, you know, really unprecedented because after all, there's not just one or two things happening that could put us on high alert and get that amygdala really charged up, but there's a lot of things happening. And, um, you know, it just seems like that it's uh, continuing to build on one another. So we have um, this maybe reactionary way where we're, we have heightened feelings going on. And so how do we help the different members, the generations in our family, you know, how do we help them react differently? We're all feeling this, I know. So, you know, what are some of the differences in the generations? Well, you know, that's a really great question. I think it's really important for us to be asking that question, especially now, because the uh, pandemic uh, has really driven us all together, right? We, we now have generations living in the same household um, and maybe for the first time ever. Uh, you know, that was quite a common thing years ago. I know I grew up with my grandparents in, in our house and, um, and that has now um, become really different, but now, all of us are back together, you know, kids are out of college or out of school and maybe grandparents have moved in. So I think this is a really timely question. And I just also want to point out that, you know, you talked about the amygdala and I think that that's a really important thing for us to bring up right now because we have to recognize that that, that part of our brain serves a really important purpose that has now sort of shifted, right? We don't have we're not we're not running away from elephants uh, anymore or tigers or whatever it was that we had to protect ourselves from. We now have shifted into protecting ourselves emotionally. And I think this is a very, very different thing. And one of the things now that we've really become to begun to recognize is that we're uh, expressing ourselves and um, and dealing with some of those really challenging things in different ways than we once did, right? Before, uh, you know, maybe we would go and we would talk to an auntie or a grandmother or even a girlfriend and we'd sit down and we'd have coffee at somebody's, you know, table. 
now if we have coffee with each other, it's usually at a Starbucks or some other great place to have coffee. Um, and uh, now we're also reaching out to each other and connecting on social media. And social media has really put an entirely different spin on how we manage our anxiety and our problems with each other. Um, and, you know, Teresa, we could have a whole show on talking about, you know, how social media affects us. But I think apropos of what we're talking about today and how we manage ourselves and, and our well-being, our abundance, um, social media plays a huge role in this. And I think that it's a really important way for us to talk about gener generational viewpoints and how different they really are. Um, because everybody's on social media, you know, even um, our uh, older generations are on social media. So, um, but how do we manage it? I think that we're, we're all managing it differently. And younger people have really, the, their first generation being on social media as a way of, of expressing themselves emotionally. And I think that it has real challenges with the older generations and mid generations because we just don't deal with it in the same way. So when we don't have a common language, right? How do we talk to each other? And how do we talk to each other at the best of times? You know, how do we talk to each other when things are really challenging or, or when, you know, when they're bad? I think that uh, it's, it's really been very difficult because, um, you know, before when we could express our anger or our upset directly, uh, we're not doing that necessarily. Yeah. And I feel like, um, you know, I did not maybe taking responsibility for my own children. I'm not sure that I taught them how to express anger uh, to each other, you know? I mean, certainly as siblings, you express anger. And, uh, but, but I do notice that they, uh, that the younger generation, younger than me, they do tend to express their anger on social media. And it's something that shocks me because I would never do that. I would, I would more want to sit down and talk one-on-one -on -one. there and right. younger people aren't necessarily open to that. So I think you really are helping me kind of have a, a an aha here. Yeah, well, you know, it's very uh, interesting. I, I think that one of the things that so social media provides us is kind of a shield, right? It gives us a little bit of separation. And, um, you know, I remember reading a, um, a study that was done about, um, about uh, service um, at, in companies. And I think it was actually done like at Sears where they had a very, very large customer service department. Um, and what was discovered was that people who had very normal social regulation, right, where we would talk to each other face to face, you know, in a very calm and courteous way. When I now got on the phone with someone, of course, this was like pre uh, computers and, you know, all the other ways we communicate chat rooms, um, people because we were now on the other end of the phone, we didn't see each other, we were able to sort of emotionally objectify them. Mm. And so anger was expressed in really um, antisocial ways, right? That we were, we were uh, negative with each other, sometimes even you know, cursing at each other, things that people would never do if they were face to face. And I think that social media has some of those same elements. It allows us to separate and objectify the other end of the computer. And so even those of us who might you know, be very, very 
close friends sometimes get into all sorts of tussles um, on social media. And, and that even happens with families, right? Families are cutting each other off on social media um, because they are not really dealing with uh, things. You know, how easy is it for me to respond by sort of throwing an arrow and then not really paying attention to where it lands? Right. Exactly. And, you know, what, what I ask myself is, so um, different people experience disharmony in a relationship. You know, there's two people or three people and there's some disagreement or grievance or disharmony. And each one of those people will react to it differently. And so um, maybe one person wants to talk it out and the other person wants to avoid it. And so... Right. I do think that's maybe one of the things that causes us to sort of cling to this disagreement. We make judgments. We we project that it's the other person's fault. We make it, you know, that we're wrong. We're not wrong. They're wrong. And so there's all these complicated psychological things going on. How do we sort through them all? Right. That's that's so important. And I, I think that you know one of the things that we're really touching on, especially with family differences, is we're extremely vulnerable to family. We are yes. even more vulnerable to family than we are to friends and coworkers and, and everyone else. You know, our families hold our histories. You know, our families, our siblings, our, our parents or our aunties or grandmothers or grandfathers, you know, um, they, they saw the things that we struggled with and overcame. And so um, we are very vulnerable to our families. And I think that ups the ante a little bit. I think that makes the risk of having important conversations, you know, go from maybe like a two at the office to, you know, a nine or 10 at home. Uh, and so, as you point out, we, we sometimes can jump on uh, what's, you know, what we know is the victim triangle um, with the, uh, the victim role, the persecutor role and the rescuer role. And, uh, and we, we begin to act as if the other person was persecuting me. And so, you know, that can be a really challenging position because now I don't have to take responsibility. Um, I can make it, you know, to your point, I can blame someone else that someone else outside of me is doing something to me. So what is the source of that victim triangle? I actually told you that I learned about that in my early 20s when the very first time that I went to a therapist to understand a relationship a difficulty that I was having with uh, my boyfriend. And, you know, I've, of course, up until that time, I knew nothing about it. What? Tell us more about the, the victim triangle and where, where it comes from. Yeah, so the victim triangle was developed and, oh gosh, I'm going to forget who, who developed it because it's really morphed over time. I think that one of the things that has, you know, with all good uh, theories, we get a really good foundation and then we get to build on it and we get to build on it from a social perspective. But the basics of the victim triangle are um, that they have the three positions on the victim triangle and again, um, one of them is uh, the victim, and that's the position that we usually jump on. And then when I get tired of being the victim, because the victim is a really, you know, as, as, as much as um, I kind of want to rest in it because it sort of feels good, right? Something outside of me 
is uh, harming me. And so I have good reason to behave the way I'm behaving, but it, it can be really debilitating and, and, you know, really awful. And so when I feel too, uh, when I'm tired of being the victim, I can now turn, uh, turn into the persecutor. And so now, rather than feeling, you know, victimized, now I'm going to blame someone else for putting me into that position. And I'm going to judge that person, right? So now I change from the position, I, I move from the position of victim into the persecutor. And so now I am persecuting the, the you know, that person who said that mean thing to me and, and I have justification to do so. Um, and then we can also uh, become the rescuer, right? That um, I'm now going to rescue myself or other people. And we see a lot of that now, especially around social media with um, all kinds of, you know, the social injustice that we have been seeing. There's a lot of people who are taking things on, um, but there's no real uh, meaning or um, plan to do anything about it, right? There's just a lot of very vocal sort of rescuing behavior, um, which which then can, you know, we, we sort of have uh, a movement uh, that can sometimes even be based around, I'm going to be very vocal, but after after the, the uh, you know, whatever the issue is, um, I'm gone, right? I don't mm -hmm. really follow through. And I think we're seeing a lot of that right now. So this, this victim triangle, I imagine, is very well worn within a family because, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really what we play. We learn those roles as children and yes. perhaps we watch our parents. I mean, I definitely saw that in my own family where my mom and dad really didn't get along that well and there was a lot of victim persecutor going on and then when you know i'm really sorry let's let's get over this that's when you know the first person that does that is the savior am i right right or 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 a lot of times what we'll hear is um you know uh just pull pull yourself up by the bootstraps um uh and you know we've all heard whatever version of that in your own family you know dry your tears you've got nothing to cry about um that's that sort of uh, rescuing position. And you're right, we, we learn that from uh, the moment that we are born. And there are, there are um, you know, I oftentimes see this with couples uh, where they, uh, they vie for the victim position. You know, they kind of fight for it. You know, who's got it worse in this relationship? Uh, you know, who, who has done me wrong more in the relationship? And we oftentimes see that in families. We are taught the roles that we are, that we are supposed to play in, in the victim triangle. And, you know, the one, the very best way to get off the victim triangle or to stop those patterns is to just not be on it, not interact. Um, but the, the really tricky thing to remember, Teresa, about the victim triangle is when you stop behaving in the role that you were supposed to behave in, the system, that family system will pull you back. You know, they will double down and try and pull you back. It's kind of like, listen, you and I have been doing this tango for a very long time. And now you're not doing that tango with me. Oh yes, you are. And the persecution. So people, right. You'll oftentimes hear this, right. Where you, 
you were victimizing me. Now I'm going to persecute you, right? Look at you are, you are destroying our family, right? We hear all sorts of things and uh, families try really hard to uh, get that person to play that victim role again, because that's the, that's the agreement we've all made here, right? So this is the, uh, the the first person who gets off the triangle. You know, that's the person that is working towards uh, being more health, being healthier, and yes. also taking responsibility for their own behavior, which is ultimately, you know, what is um, the uh, diagnosis and the cure, so to speak. Yes, yes, and oftentimes that person is scapegoated mercilessly, mm -hmm. and. You know, it's hard enough to step off the victim triangle with a couple, um, but it is really challenging to do in a family. And oftentimes that, that person is, is, uh, is um, like I said, scapegoated, but also oftentimes cut off because, you know, listen, if you're not going to play in the way that we've been playing and you're not going to see me as the victim, well, we don't really have a place for you. And it causes a lot of, of strife uh, in families. Um, and I, I think that uh, we oftentimes will get into a sibling relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, this is the, now we're getting down to it. So this is what's happened in my own family where um, certain people have been rejected by other people because they won't uh, they want to get off the, the victim triangle. So let's take another break here. And then when we come back, we can maybe get into more about how those of us who are, you know, really working hard to recognize this and trying to figure out what to do in order to make the family work the best way it can. So you can you can give us your, your help there. So come back, everyone. We'll be right back to a wealthy life for her. Does your relationship need a refresh, reboot, or complete remodel? Get the most up-to-date, cutting-edge processes and tools to switch gears and put you back on track. Marianne Marlowe helps couples get the spark back that brought you together in the first place. Among her areas of focus are consciousness development and healing shock and trauma through healthy relationships. Reclaim your spark and go to thisloveworks.com. It's your this in This Love Works. I'm Teresa Leftenant. Navigating a path to increase your income is a critical part of a woman's pursuit of a wealthy life. Having a personalized financial plan gives a woman confidence that she knows where she's going and how to get there. We've all heard the saying, life is what happens when you're planning something else. We're here to help you either design your plan or revise your plan. Visit reinventinghermoney.com and click on contact to set up a time to chat. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, SIPC. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. And welcome back to A Wealthy Life for Her with Teresa Leftenant and Marianne Marlowe. And we're talking about, you know, discourse among families, how to get over long-term uh, grievances within the family, what was the source of this in a psychological um, 
way. And we've also just been talking about, you know, how we uh, learn the victim triangle as siblings. And, you know, what maybe we're going to talk now about what are some of the remedies that we can apply to healing our family divisions? Yeah, I think one of the most important things to really recognize, especially when a family has been traumatized by um, by some kind of disharmony, and and it is traumatizing, right? When when we think about the the, the risk of what could be lost, um, I think that that that's very very high risk in families, which is why it's oftentimes not talked about, and people are cut off. So I want to interrupt here just for a second, because the word that comes to my mind is there are certain events that happen in a family that shock family members. And that word, you know, like shock is really it's like being in shock when you have hurt yourself. It is a really big experience. And because it's a big experience, then all of this drama gets played up about the event that caused the shock. Is that helpful? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that that's a great way to think about it because it does create shock. And, you know, psychological shock, when I think about what psychological shock is, it's a dysregulation of the nervous system such that um, we go away, right? We, we, in fact, sometimes it really feels like I'm leaving my body. And we've all had those shocking situations where we literally feel the blood drain out of our bodies, out of our faces. We feel tingling in our extremities. It's the same kind of shock that we have when we have a physical experience. And what we, the very first thing that we need to do in any kind of situation, especially when we want to have this remedy, as you mentioned, is to heal the shock. We've got to be able to get out of the shock. And the first thing that we have to do is ground ourselves. And a lot of times what happens in families or in couples is that we just keep talking about the issue. We keep talking about the content of what it is, you know, how you harmed me, what this problem is, you know, we keep going around with it. The problem is we are not engaged with the part of our brain where we can actually, you know, the prefrontal lobe where we can actually talk in a rational way and a problem solving way. We're still back there in that, you know, amygdala and that little, uh, that little uh, reptilian brain to try and figure out, oh my gosh, this is such a big thing. I'm out of my body. I can't even think about this. So the very first thing that we have to do is to signal that we are safe. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk a little bit about this, like um, laying down our sword, that we have to be the first person to be able to signal to the other that, um, you know, we've got to be the hero. There's always got to be a hero. I talk about this in couples, that whomever is, you know, less dysregulated has to step up and be the hero. We've got to be able to bring our partner back into the room. And so the very first thing that we have to do is lay down our sword so that we can be seen as uh, unarmed and, and literally safe. And we want to establish at that point a common goal. So we have to create safety first. That's job one. And then once we've created safety, right, I'm friendly to you. I really want the best for us, right? We have to be relaxed. Our faces have to be, uh, you know, literally friendly. We have to smile. Those are subconscious signals to the brain that let someone know we're okay. 
So then the nervous system of the other person comes down and now we're able to actually, you know, start to connect with the parts of our brain where we can develop a common goal. So in families, what's the benefit of solving this problem together? Well, it's to continue to be a healthy family. And I always say to families and couples, once you really make a commitment to deal with whatever this is, you will be stronger on the other side of it. That's the big payoff that right now, I know it's very scary. And I also know that when you make a commitment to this on the other side, you are going to feel so good. And now you're gonna be able to handle other issues, right? There'll be less shock. So one of the really important things is to be very, uh, be very uh, public about this gesture about friendliness and then start to really develop a common, some common ground. Um, and uh, before we can talk about the issue, we've really got to, um, we've got to develop that, that uh, feeling of safety. So that's the context that we have to develop. You have to develop some context before we get to content and then conflict resolution, right? So it has to come in that order. Okay, Otherwise, so let me make sure I understand this. Okay, so the context is first we lay down our sword, we become friendly, we make a big deal out of saying I'm letting down uh, from being defensive, from being uh, attacking. I, and then there's the common ground. Like, why do we want to do something differently? Is it because we want to have, you know, be able to go on vacation together or we want to uh, be able to attend the, the family wedding coming up or whatever it is? It's usually family unity, family togetherness, right? Yes, absolutely. And the, the most important thing about developing that safety in that context is that it has to be 100% genuine. Right. It has to be authentic, you know, because when we are in that feeling of, of you're unsafe to me, what that what I am now on is I am looking at every micro expression to see if that's absolutely true. So mm -hmm. once you've got that safety, that's the context. Now you can start to talk about content. And the very first thing that we have to do is we have to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. We have to listen to each other in a way that allows the other person to be heard. And I oftentimes use a tool that's a MAGO developed, developed by uh, Harville Hendricks and Helen Hunt. Um, and the, the, um, the importance about that is that we really paraphrase back what we have heard the person who is injured say. And we have to do that in a way that has some real meaning, right? I really hear you. And it does two things. It signals to the other person that you were general, genuinely interested in hearing but you are really hearing their words. Mm -hmm. It also gives the person who is speaking it, it gives them the opportunity to say those words because when we say those words, we can hear them. We can hear the anguish of someone else and we can really step inside of their shoes. So we go through the process of really hearing with uh, active listening and paraphrasing what that person has said so that we can get to a place of validating them. Now, the important thing about validating is that it's not agreeing, right? We oftentimes this have the sense that, well, I can't validate that person because I just don't see it that way. Well, we get that, That's, that is where we started, but what's important is that you are able to step into the other person's shoes to recognize 
what they are going through to really understand what shoes they walk in. Um, we have a model called the, uh, the VOMP model. And one of those things, right, is conflict resolution where we've got to be able to really walk in someone else's shoes or the M was for moccasins, right, as a way of us to recognize another pair of shoes. We've got to be able to walk in someone else's shoes. And that, that's the next step. So after you've paraphrased and checked in with that person, did I hear you right? Did I get that right? Is there more? And you allow that person to express until there's no more until you really do get it. Then you move on to the second part, which is validating. Yes, I can really understand. I can really see how you could see it that way. And then the third part of that model, the uh, couple's dialogue is empathy. We've got to then be able to express the feeling, the understanding of someone's pain, of someone's hurt, of someone's shame, right? That's a really challenging thing. And so we've got to be able to walk through that process. And that's actually the, the conflict resolution is being able to get to that. And now here's the part that I have added for the couple's dialogue, the Imago model, is that that last part, when we're working on healing families, is the shared history, right? I feel your pain. I really get it because that's how our family has done it in the past, right? Up till now. Mm -hmm. So the most important part when we are starting to, when we are really working to healing our family history is to get back to, I mean, healing the family conflict is to get back to the family history because that's where, that's what we all understand, right? That is the common ground. Exactly. And, you know, I know that uh, family members, uh, you know, the tricky part is getting to the point where you are willing to lay down your sword, willing to uh, set that context, willing to listen to the other person first. And so why do people avoid doing that? Why do they stay stuck in the constant going around and around? And I say other people, I, I'm not saying I don't do that too in certain circumstances. I think we all do it to some extent. You know, when we really have our feelings are really, really hurt, it's very hard to let go of that and to get to this, which we all know. I mean, hey, when you say this, it's so reasonable, it's so automatic, it feels exactly, you know, intuitively right. And <laughs> it seems to be so difficult to get it going. Right, right, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that really motivates me and I really think about this is I don't wanna die alone. <laughs> you know, if we really take a look at the end game, right? And what we know that there was a study that was done and um, on the top regrets people have um, in their lives. And in this one study, um, they found that the second biggest regret that people had to deal with were not managing family issues, not resolving family conflict. And that's huge, right? Because when we think about it right in the moment, I can really be pissed or wrapped around the axle with somebody. But the bottom line is that if we don't solve this, this has really deep ramifications. Mm -hmm. So I think that we get stuck um, because it's easier. 
it's easier not to step into that very complicated situation. And we, we've got to develop some courage. And so it's much easier for me to avoid having the conversation and avoid, um, you know, having uh, an important, right? I've stopped using the word um, hard conversations because they're important conversations. Right. Um, you know, we have to treat them in a different way. And so, um, you know, these, these feel so huge on the inside. And if I open the lid on what I'm feeling, it may swallow me up. Mm-hmm. And I think that people oftentimes have this false belief that the feelings are bigger than me and that I won't be able to contain them. Um, and that I'll literally disappear, right? That somehow this is gonna be so big and again, this is happening in the nervous system. This is, this is not this is not real, um, it, and we don't. It's not necessarily logical. It's it's completely emotional, and emotions can seem to uh, uh, pull us. You know, you know, it seems to have control over us. Our emotions. Yeah, absolutely, and to your point, not many of us uh, grew up learning how to manage deep emotions. Right? right. We lived by cut off. We lived by um, some kind of an explosion. That was how it worked in my in my household, right? I, I grew up with uh, a raging alcoholic. And so when things went bad, they went really bad. And so we really didn't ever get to, and, and then on the other side was Italian, which was big and large and loud. Yeah. So we never really learned how to have, you know, a lot of very deep conversations. So um, the deep feelings are not common ground. We shut them away. And then we even shame ourselves for having them. We become afraid of our own power, which is what your show is really all about. Yeah. And so, you know, we've got to be able to self-reflect. And, um, and that's, you know, again, where social media comes in, we can offload those deep emotions by throwing them out there in, in uh, social media and, and normalizing them. So, I think it's really important for us to be able to re- recognize what's at stake, right? That there's a much bigger thing at stake than, you know, dealing with whatever this is. And when we really recognize what's at stake, that's what will help us to take that next courageous step into developing conflicts. Let, I mean, developing context, letting people know we are safe and genuine and then really listening in an, you know, that important way. And then finally resolving the conflict by stepping into that common ground and understanding how we can work together as allies to heal those negative family patterns. Exactly. And, and you know, this is what we started with um, by introducing you, uh, describing your passion around when we heal our own self through self-respect, uh, self-reflection, and learning how to be in control. I don't want to say control. I want to say we learn how to be in control when we are uh, being emotionally hijacked. Then when we, the more we practice that in our relationships with our spouse and with our um, children and everyone, then that's when we can really contribute to healing the world because we do learn how to do it that way. And so um, share with us, we just have a few more minutes, but just share with us about, you know, how that whole concept works together. Yeah. You know, I always say, Teresa, and this is again, part of what led me to do couples work is we are never wounded on our own, right? Mm -hmm. We are wounded in interaction. 
And I loved how you talked about, um, you know, managing our emotions. And I like to talk about it as having emotional sobriety and emotional discipline, right? That, yeah, we could have a tantrum and, you know, scream and yell, and we could do that. Many people do. And, and, you know, I have oftentimes just asked my children known to have done that maybe once or twice, (laughs) but when we have emotional discipline and when we decide to be emotionally sober, then we can manage our emotions and decide how we want to relate to them. And then when I decide how I want to relate to them, that's when I can interact and healing our own, uh, our personal issues, right? The things that happen to us in interactions, we have to be able to do that by healing interactions. That's the best way that we can do it. Once we do it in couples, then we can do it on our families and then in our communities. And we just keep spreading that around and being great examples. And who doesn't want to be that great example of a couple or a family when we walk out of the room and people say, I want to be just like them. Wow, that is just such a great ending. And so come on, everybody that's listening, us strong women, let's start to heal our relationships so that we can spread that around and be the change we want to see in the world. So our conversation has shown our listeners how brilliant you are. And so how can people get in touch with you, Marianne? The best way to get in touch with me, and I have a brand new website. I just, I want to show it off. It's so, uh, it's just beautiful. It it, beautiful. The people who put it together, but most importantly, it has some great content on there and you can reach me at www.thisloveworks. Make sure you put this in there, thisloveworks.com. And there's all kinds of ways to get uh, in touch with me and to connect with some really important resources. Well, thank you so very much. This has been a fabulous conversation for me and I know for everyone listening. Thank you, Marianne. Thank you, Teresa. And next week, our guest will be Wendy Francis. She's an MS and owner of Empowerment Coaching International. She's a pioneer in nutrition therapy and drug psychology, and we'll be talking about overcoming emotional eating. So thank you everyone for listening and being part of our Wealthy Life for Her mission. You have a lot of shows and podcasts to choose from, so thank you so much for choosing ours. And if you enjoyed yourself or learned something, please share with friends and family. You can subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you, Alexis Lieutenant Gregory, for your beautiful theme music. Eric, my producer, the support staff at Financial Advocates, and everyone at KKNW 1150 AM. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube under Teresa, T-R-E-S-A, Lieutenant. And sign up for our free training, Financial Tips to Survive COVID-19 at ReinventingHerMoney.com. Remember, ladies, financial independence is your birthright. With the right education and empowerment and the right financial advice, you can overcome your financial challenges and create a wealthy life on your terms. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Teresa is founder of Reinventing Her Money and author of Reinventing Her, helping women plan, pursue, and capitalize on their next chapter. Available on Amazon. She is a certified financial planner and wealth advisor for professional women who aspire to a wealthy and financially independent life. Learn more at reinventinghermoney.com.